0: Hi, I'm Miss Tyler, and welcome to another episode of Context for Kids, where I teach you guys stuff most adults don't even know. If this is your first time hearing, or if you've missed anything, you can find all the episodes archived at contextforkids.podbean.com, which has them downloadable, or at contextforkids.com, where I have transcripts for readers, or on my Context for Kids YouTube channel. Parents, all scripture comes from the CSB this week, the Christian Standard Bible, and will mostly be in Genesis 8. Now, speaking of Genesis 8, let's start with verse 15. Then God spoke to Noah, come out of the ark, you, your wife, your sons, and your son's wives with you. Bring out all the living creatures that are with you. Birds, livestock, those that crawl on the earth, and they will spread over the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah, along with his sons, his wives, and his son's wives, came out. All the animals, all the creatures that crawl, and all the flying creatures, everything that moves on the earth came out of the ark by their families. Well, According to the story, Noah and his family were in that ark for a heck of a long time. I mean, in fact, according to the Bible, they were on the ark for 370 days. So just over a year. Oh, I don't know about you, but that is not my guide. Do you have a good time? I probably wouldn't have even eaten the entire time, you know, just so that I wouldn't be throwing up because I get super seasick. Do you guys get seasick? And so, yeah, I would have died, come to think of it, you know. Um, when the water stopped coming down, I mean, that would have been a pleasant surprise. When the winds came and the water started to go down, oh yeah, definitely a happy occasion. When the bottom of the Ark touched Down on the mountains of Ararat. Oh boy. And then Noah, you know, sent out birds to see if they could land anywhere or eat anything. And finally, you know, God told Noah and his family to come out of the ark. What a relief, right? Now, sometimes we're so anxious to do things that we don't wait for instructions. Have you ever done that? Sometimes we think it's time, but it isn't time. (laughs) You know, I love to teach you guys about idioms, you know, and idioms are phrases or sayings that usually don't mean like they sound what they mean. But some idioms do make sense if you know the history behind them. Let's talk about a great idiom to describe doing something before we're supposed to. Jumping the gun. Have you ever watched a race at the Olympics or at school or on television? Have you ever been in a race? People race on foot, with bicycles, in boats, in cars, and in the water as swimmers. Have you ever noticed that what happens at the beginning of the race? Someone fires a special type of gun that's called a starter's pistol. They aim it up in the air, and although a bullet doesn't come out, it makes a huge sort of Like a cap gun sound, but you still don't want to point it at anyone, you know, because it's got blanks in it and, and people can get hurt. Well, when the racers are ready to go and they're all worked up and excited, you can imagine how easy it would be to accidentally start running before you hear the bang. And when a racer starts too soon, it's called jumping the gun. They aren't jumping over a gun, of course, but they are jumping before the gun tells them that it's time. And if you think those racers are excited, just think about those folks in the stinky arc for over a year. They're ready and wanting to jump the gun. I bet his sons are all going, is it time yet? And Noah's saying, oh my gosh, no, how many times do I have to tell you that we'll get there when we get there? Now, our lives are full of times when we can't hardly stand to wait for something to start. I can bet you, I bet you can think of a lot of times. That's why learning how to patiently wait for the right moment is a huge part of growing up. And there are a lot of people in the Bible who are going to jump the gun. And they all get in a lot of trouble. Now, if you're excited for recess and you bolt out of your desk at school too early, trouble. Especially if you're homeschooled. (laughs) Now, if you open the oven door at the wrong time, the cake you're baking might cave in and sink in the middle. If you're going over a puddle and you jump too early or too late, you get wet shoes. And Abraham and Sarah, Moses, the children of Israel in the wilderness, King Saul, King David, and many others are going to leap before they look And the results will be disastrous, not only for themselves, but for others. And in your life, you're going to do it too. The Bible shows us that God won't abandon us when we do jump the gun, even though we might not like the real-life consequences of what we have done. Of course, in the case of the ark, God closed the door so maybe Noah couldn't even open it if he wanted to anyway. How do you open a door that God's closed from the other side? I guess a lot of times, you know, God protects us from ourselves by making certain things impossible. We're just stubborn enough to try and do something foolish at the worst possible time. I sometimes wonder how many times God has protected me from really messing up so bad that there was no way of getting out of trouble. Fortunately, I've messed up many times, and although sometimes things seemed very hopeless, and sometimes I even thought I wanted to die, in time things got better, and now I rarely even remember things that once seemed like the end of the world. Now, let's look at our Bible verses for this week. Then God spoke to Noah, Come out of the ark, you, your wife, your sons, and your sons' wives with you. Bring out all the living creatures that are with you, Birds, livestock, those that crawl on the earth, and they will spread over the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah, along with his sons, his wife, and his son's wives, came out. All the animals, all the creatures that crawl, all the flying creatures, everything that moves on the earth came out of the ark by their families. Now, something that we see a lot in the Bible is this theme of new beginnings. Do you remember what a theme is? A theme of a story is the topic or the main pointer. You might want to call the subject, but that's not quite right. Just, you know, bear with me. Now, for example, the theme of a movie like Toy Story is friendship and how dangerous jealousy is. One of my favorite old movies is West Side Story. And the themes of that movie are love and the dangers of prejudice and hatred, and it's based on Shakespeare's play, Romeo and Juliet, which is about the exact same things. Well, there's a theme that pops up all through the Bible, and that theme is new beginnings. In Genesis 1, God created something new, the heavens and the earth and everything that is in them. He did that so that the entire world could know what he is like, and so Emptiness and chaos could be replaced by something beautiful and meaningful. He began with some people and placed them in a good place where they could do the job of making the entire earth a paradise, a perfect place where they could raise children so the whole earth would become a wonderful and peaceful place with no violence or hatred or cruelty. Just think if they hadn't been so anxious to become like God. Talk about jumping the gun. They could have become more and more like him just by doing what he said to do and by becoming more and more like him. There is no easy way to become like God, and certainly not by just eating a piece of fruit no matter how tasty or pretty. But in the beginning, we saw that God created the birds and the wild animals and the livestock, farm animals, and all of the tiny critters like bugs and mice and snakes and stuff. And of course, he also created people. That's where everything went wrong. <laughs> and he told those critters and those people to be fruitful and multiply. That's why when God speaks to Noah and the animals come out of the ark, it's just like he when he spoke when he created the world and he wants them to spread out over the earth and have babies and to do all the things that God created them to do. But things aren't entirely the same. Noah and his family are not like Adam and Eve. They've already lived a long time, and they've seen a lot of horrible, evil things. They lived in a world where no one could trust anyone, a world of horrible violence and people doing whatever they wanted to whoever they wanted. wasn't a safe world. And everyone was suffering, people and animals and the earth. Now, God loves his creation and he hates suffering. In the Bible, the prophets talk over and over again about how much God hates it when the strong are mean to the weak, when the rich are mean to the poor, and when the powerful take advantage of the powerless. But that's the only kind of world that they've ever been a part of, the time they spent All alone together in the Ark would have been their first experience of not having to worry about someone hurting them. Noah and his wife didn't have to worry about whether Ham, Shem, or Japheth were in danger. And Ham, Shem, and Japheth didn't have to worry if their mom and their wives were safe. Although, that being said, it was probably hard to feel safe in the Ark as the months passed and they must have wondered if they would ever get out of there. But when all people have ever seen is craziness, violence, and hatred in the outside world, it's hard to live any other way. When we're around mean people, being mean starts to look normal. Now, if you've ever had friends who used to be kind, but then started hanging around someone who's mean, then you probably know what I'm talking about. Mean people don't usually get nicer without Jesus' help. Nice people get meaner instead. Not that people can't change, but generally we start to act like the people we hang around. It's just how we are because being mean is easier than being nice, and sometimes it feels really good to make somebody else feel bad. Sometimes it feels good to hurt people, and especially when we're angry or frustrated or not getting our way. When we feel hurt, sometimes we want to hurt someone else. And when we're hanging around people who do that all the time, it gets easier and easier to give in. Hopefully, just being around their parents was a good example for the boys and their wives. We'll find out later. But even though it isn't a clean start, a totally new beginning with new perfect people, it is a new beginning. Because Noah was considered righteous in his generation, we know that means he was the best of the bunch, and so his family was probably a whole lot better than most as well. Whatever horrible things people had done, they were gone now, and Noah and his family had power to choose to live an entirely different, new way. They knew what it was like to be in a terrible situation, and now they could choose to make the world a really wonderful, peaceful, and loving place to live. They could have children and grandchildren who could and could make the decision to teach them what was right. <coughs> Everyone should have learned their lesson because of how bad the world had been. If only they would refuse to make the same mistakes. If only they would just say no to being unloving to one another. Did you know that God's going to do this many times in the Bible? I mean, not send a flood. Not that, but start over again with a new family so that he can fix what was broken in the garden. First, there was Adam and Eve and then Noah and then Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and finally Jesus. Do you remember when we talked about how the story of Adam and Eve tells us that all human beings are one big family with no one any better than anyone else? That God wants us to see ourselves as all coming from the same place so that no one will think that some people are superior or better than others? Well, if it wasn't enough to do it once, God is doing it again when Moses tells us the story of Noah and his family. Later on, we'll hear about how the children of the three sons and their wives went out in all different directions. Some went to Asia, others to Africa, and even to Europe. And that's what God wanted for people to live all over the world so they could wisely rule over all of his creation. This world is full of wonderful places and wonderful people. Because we because of where we live, we look different and we like different kinds of music and our languages are different and we eat entirely different kinds of foods, and it's all wonderful. You know, we are different because God is like and artist. I guess it's not he's like an artist, he is an artist. So creative. Think of all the different kinds of birds and how beautiful they are. And, you know, they're all different sizes. You know, God doesn't just like one kind of bird or cat or butterfly or flower or tree. God's not boring. If God was boring, we would all look exactly like and do the same stuff and it would be pretty boring and awful. Now, It's really hard to start from scratch. No one in his family will have to do a lot of work to survive. They'll probably use the Ark for shelter, for a home, as long as they can, but as everyone begins having children and grandchildren, they're going to have to leave where they are and plant crops like wheat and barley, find good sources of water to drink, and they will certainly have to be somewhere else for the winter because the mountains would be too dangerous. And they have animals that will need to travel around in order to find good grass to graze on. They'll have to build fences to keep the farm animals from wandering off and being eaten. Have you ever moved away from your home to someplace new? Maybe a new town or a new state or even a new country? I've done that. Do you know what it's like to have to start all over again? You have to get a new home and go to a new school figure out where to buy your groceries get a new doctor and a new dentist find a new favorite place to eat pizza make new friends find a new church and sometimes people have a different accent or might even speak a different language i can tell you some stories about how how hard it was for me to move to new places And I will tell you that when you move to a different country, even if they speak the same language, that words do not always mean the same thing, and you can get into big trouble. And I found that out the hard way when I was eight. If you have had to do any of that, then maybe you can relate to how Noah's family is feeling as they needed to start over. Now, you might ask the question, why did Noah get to take his family with him onto the ark? Well, You know, that's a story that's going to take us right to Jesus. We're going to see in the Bible, and especially in Genesis, how loyal God is to the people he loves. In fact, he is so loyal that sometimes he does really nice things for the families of the people who obey him and love him. Because Noah obeyed God, his family was allowed to join him on the ark, even though we aren't sure yet what kind of people they are. Because Abraham obeyed God, God rescued his nephew Lot and Lot's family when the city was destroyed. And God even blessed Abraham's son Ishmael, even though God chose Isaac for himself. Because Isaac was obedient to God, God blessed Esau, even though Esau wasn't really very interested in serving God. In fact, you know, God gave the descendants of Lot, Ishmael, and Esau lands of their very own, and no one was allowed to touch them. And all because God loved Abraham. Because Moses obeyed God and because God remembered Abraham and how faithful he was, hundreds of years later, God looked out for the children of Israel who all came from Abraham and Sarah, even though they often made God sorry for it. Because Aaron's son Phinehas was obedient and loyal to God, God specially blessed his family. And because David obeyed God, Usually, God was loyal to David's family even when they became increasingly evil and rebellious. Now, what that doesn't mean is that the people who God was loyal to were, and generous with were awesome people, okay? God did good things for them not because they were good, but because someone else was, or at least they usually were, you know? Now, God loves loyalty, but What is loyalty about? We say that someone is loyal when they are on your side no matter what. When you can trust them not to play nasty tricks on you or lie to you or about you or switch sides when bullies come after you or tell your secrets to everyone so they can make fun of you. You know, being loyal to God is a bit different because with God, you know, he's just perfect and he made us and When he sent Jesus to die for us so we could live with him, you know, forever. And, well, we just kind of owe it to him to be totally devoted to him and only to him. But the really amazing thing about God is that when we are loyal to him, he is even more loyal to us. Now, that doesn't mean that nothing will ever go wrong. I wish. But it means that when things go wrong, that God doesn't abandon us. God won't switch sides on us or leave us just because we do something wrong. No matter what we do or how far we might try to run from him, he's just waiting for us to turn around and see that he's been right there waiting for us. Now, there are some people who might try to take advantage of that, but God will deal with that too. Why does he do that with us? Why is he so loyal to us? He's loyal to us when we believe and give our loyalty to his beloved son, Jesus. Lot was saved because of Abraham, and so was Ishmael, Esau, and the children of Israel in slavery in Egypt. When they messed up really bad, God remembered his promises to Abraham and saved them from trouble, and more than that, he also blessed them. When the kings of Judah sinned in terrible ways... God remembered his promises to David and sent prophets to them to turn them around to do what's right, but he didn't destroy them. Jesus is like that for us, but he's much more than that. In the book of Isaiah, God said that Jesus would be a light to the nations, that he would bring God's word and salvation to the nations. When we follow Jesus as our Savior and our only King, we're telling God that we believe his promises, that we believe he did everything he said he would to save the world by sending Jesus for us. Before Jesus, when God looked at his sinful people, he remembered Abraham and his promises and saved them. Now, God looks at us and remembers Jesus and his promises and saves us. But now things are a lot different because just believing in and trusting Abraham or Moses or David never changed anyone on the inside. They were still the same people. They might keep the commandments on the outside and might even have been very good people, but they didn't get to be a part of the kingdom of heaven that Jesus brought to everyone who trusts him and gives him their loyalty. A lot of people think of the kingdom of heaven as something up in the sky. But Jesus said the kingdom of heaven came with him and came to stay in anyone who believes in him. And anyone can belong to him if they want to. All they have to do is trust him enough to believe and obey him. So we read the stories about him and we can know they're true. We read that he died as a totally innocent person so that Satan would have all of his authority over us taken away. Satan worked through evil men in order to kill someone completely innocent of anything wrong. That never happened before in the history of the entire world. When Satan did that, he broke his own power. And when we give our love and loyalty and trust to Jesus... The Spirit of God comes to live with us and changes us from the inside out so that not only will we act more loving and good, we will be more loving and good. That's how powerful God's salvation is. Doesn't mean we're perfect or that we're good right away, but little by little, day after day and year after year, we become more and more like Jesus and Jesus is exactly like God. Hmm. We become his image bearers, just like it talks about in Genesis 1. We get the chance to live in this beautiful creation wisely and kindly, not doing damage to anyone, but treating others like they are created in God's image too, because they are. And so are you. The Bible tells us that before the flood, people weren't treating each other as though they were also in God's image, but were hurting them, treating them unfairly, were being violent, and just horrible. No one in his family grew up in that world, but now they have a chance to start over and do things right. Of course, they wouldn't have the Holy Spirit to help and change them. So what do we think is going to happen? Can they do it? How long will it take them to start messing up? And we'll see next week when we start to talk about (sighs) what life was like after the flood. If only it was perfect, right? If only any of the things we do are perfect. But you know what? God is faithful and he loves us and he's so kind to us. Oh, anyway, you know what? I love you. I'm praying for you. And I pray that you have a wonderful time this week studying the Bible with the people who love you. Just like me. I do love you. And I will talk to you very, very soon. Bye-bye.